0: Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host,
1: Jason Romano. Welcome everyone to the show, episode number 95, right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. My name is Jason Romano. Great to have you joining us on the program today. Thank you for listening on your Apple iTunes device, your Google Play app on Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. We appreciate you checking us out. And I definitely encourage you to subscribe Go to the podcast app on whatever device you're listening to. Click that subscribe button and you will never miss an episode. All 95 of them here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, including today's guest, who is the senior vice president and the founder of the Orlando Magic. His name is Pat Williams, and and Pat has lived an extraordinary life, serving in the U.S. Army for seven years, starting his professional sports career in the minor leagues at the age of 24, and becoming the president of the Spartanburg, South Carolina, Phillies minor league baseball team, and then moving to the NBA in 1968, and has been in the NBA now for 50 years in various positions, including general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers in the late 70s into the mid-80s when they won that NBA championship in 1983 with Dr. J and Moses Malone and those guys, and then again founded the Orlando Magic In 1989, the Magic made their debut in the NBA and they've been going strong and Pat has been a part of the franchise ever since. But here's the extraordinary part of Pat Williams' life. The man, along with his wife Ruth, are parents of 19 children, including 14 adopted children. That's a lot of children. 17 grandchildren. And here's another thing he's done. He's written over 100 books. 108 to be exact. The man has written 108 books. How? (laughs) I've written one and I'm just blown away by how difficult that was. How do you write 108 books? But Pat Williams has done just that and his latest book, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, Stories and Lessons from John Wooden's Summer Basketball Camps. That's out now. We're going to talk about that book uh, in the interview. And I love this book because In it, Pat Williams basically tells the stories of John Wooden, the ones that you haven't heard. John Wooden, the legendary coach, of course, with UCLA, passed away a few years ago, lived to almost 100 years old, and he pretty much is known as the greatest basketball coach in history. And the stories and the wisdom, the pyramid of success, all of that that comes with John Wooden I think just lives in in its lore and lives in, you know, it's going to be one of those where we talk about forever the wisdom that comes from John Wooden. And Pat Williams has taken those stories and lessons from John Wooden at his summer basketball camps that he used to put on back in the day and, and tells the stories in this new book, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. So let's get right to it. The man has lived an extraordinary life, and we're going to bring that life here to you in this podcast. Lots of good stuff. Lots of amazing stories and memories from the life of our next guest, Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic. He is Pat Williams. Take a listen. It's a privilege to welcome Pat Williams to the podcast. Pat, how are you?
0: Uh, Jason, I'm very well. And uh, so nice to hook up with you here. I'm looking forward to our chat.
1: Yes, me too. I love, um, I've been following your career, obviously, for many years, having worked at ESPN, and, and, and I'm a big fan of all that you do, and and uh, certainly the books that you've written, and you've written your hundredth book, I guess. Uh, I can't imagine writing a writing hundred books, as I mentioned in the intro. Just writing one was so difficult, but... This one is unique. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Team Stories and Lessons from John Wooden's Summer Basketball Camps, and certainly the legendary basketball coach, John Wooden. Everybody admires him for what he stood for and all the great success and impact that he had. Tell us about the book and why you decided to write this book right now. Uh, Jason,
0: it's the fourth book I've done on Coach Wooden, and uh, he's been examined from so many angles. In fact... Uh, he wrote extensively uh, in the well. I guess the last 15 years of his life, uh, he wrote any number of books. But there was one area of his career that had not really been examined, and those were the summer camps uh, that he ran for many years in the LA area. Mm. Uh, which, which over those years, you know, would be would be num- well thousands of youngsters would would have attended. So I was curious uh, to dig into that and, and see if there was uh, something there. And, and sure enough, there was. Uh, we were able to track down a n- good number of the, young, uh, the, the, the the children, now adults, of course, who were there and, and went to those camps. Uh, guys like Steve Kerr, for example, Kiki Vandaway uh, were there as youngsters and, and many, many, many more. Uh, what was Coach Wooden like at those camps? Hmm. Uh, how many lives did he touch? Uh, how did he touch them? Uh, that, that was our mission, and we felt very good when we found some really key people who had put those camps together for Coach and uh, helped him with it. It was just fascinating uh, to learn, you know, what Coach Wooden did and how he did it. And so that's the meat of this book, and uh, we, we see Coach Wooden in a totally different setting. Uh, through
1: through this book pat you have uh written a hundred books and i i know i referenced it earlier i guess i'm just amazed because writing my first book was so difficult and so hard uh and i know right, so i have a greater respect i know for writing books and understanding how they work now but a hundred is just incredible H- how the heck have you done it my friend how have you written a hundred books well jason i
0: uh I, I need to update that a little bit. This wooden book is it's book number one hundred eight. One hundred eight. Uh, okay. Yeah, one hundred one hundred eight. Um, it all starts with an with ideas, uh, and the Lord has been very good to me in popping ideas into my head about about what might be a good book. Then, of course, you've got to go to a publisher. And, and see if they agree that it's it's worth investing in. Of course, uh, we we've been in, we've been fortunate there, of course, and uh, and then comes the research. Yep. in the case of this wooden book, you know, trying to find as many of these people as we could who had a story or a memory. Uh, then I hire uh, what I call a, a wordsmith mm-hmm. uh, to take all the material, all the interviews, you know, and and get it coordinated and get it, uh, uh, you know, synchronized properly. Yeah. Uh, Then comes the proofing, and then comes the tweaking, and then comes the buffing and polishing, you know, down the stretch. And the next thing you know, you've got a manuscript that's finished, and then comes the weight, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they FedEx uh, the first copy to you, and, and uh, Jason, I don't care whether it's your first book or your hundredth book, uh, when your fingers nervously open that package uh, <laughs> with your book. Oh, boy, that's a that's a very emotional moment uh, because you 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 check to see if the book has all its fingers and toes, you know, and all the oh, everything is lined up. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and so you never you never lose that joy. You know, of seeing that
1: book when it's finished. Absolutely. And you've written now, you've said 108 and the latest Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, stories and lessons from John Wooden's summer basketball camps. And Coach Wooden was so beloved, Pat. And, and not only was he an amazing coach on the court, but off the court, he carried himself with such splendor and humility. And he was unashamed about his faith. That's another thing I certainly admire, uh, as many of us do with Sports Spectrum, with Coach Wooden. And I wonder for you, tell me about the impact that he had on you, Coach Wooden. You know, tell me, did you get to meet him? Did you ever have any kind of relationship with him or ever have any conversations with him? And then what kind of impact did he have on you just in regards to even your own faith in Christ? Well,
0: initially, I wrote him a letter. He lived till 99 and he was in good health. So he, I, he was probably in his mid-80s. I wrote him a letter telling him I wanted to write a book called How to Be Like Coach. Hmm. And, and, and a while after that, I got a phone call. It went like this. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Williams, uh, this is John Wooden, the former basketball coach at UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's, how it star- that's how it started. Then he said, uh, I, I got your letter. Uh, now, I am not worthy of a project like this. But if you feel it's something you would like to do, uh, he said, you, you go on ahead. Wow. Well, the next the next time I was in L.A., I had contacted him, and he asked me to invited me over to his condo, uh, where we had a very nice visit, very nice visit, very welcoming visit, and and we ended up writing that book. It came out some years ago. How to be like Coach. Well, that opened the door, and any time I was in L.A., I, I got a friend to go with me, and we would take him out to dinner. Uh, pick him up usually about five o'clock, uh, head to his favorite restaurant, uh, the Valley Inn hmm. and, and, and have a wonderful little meal together. And then back to his condo uh, usually would stay oh, till about nine o'clock. And he would uh, answer your questions. He loved poetry hmm. and he'd share some poems that he had written. Sven Nader is former player. You know, it was a great poet, and he would send poets to coach, and coach would would read them his latest. And it was just a precious time, really. And when you and when you left his presence, Jason, and this was so rare, I don't remember this happening. With, you know, with a, maybe a few other people, uh, you just felt uplifted. You felt enriched. Uh, you felt. Um, Uh, You you didn't ever want to let Coach Wooden down Listen, I never played for him I didn't go to UCLA But but you left feeling uh, That uh, you wanted to please him And and above all, you didn't want to disappoint him Mm. Uh, That's a rare quality uh, In a a person
1: Was he a person Uh, that talked a lot about his faith Or did he just kind of exude it as the way that he lived?
0: Well, you had had to uh, draw him out He was not an evangelist He certainly was, you know, a a firm believer. He he went to a good, solid church. His pastor, uh, who I've gotten to know, his name is Dudley Rutherford, and uh, Coach Wooden was uh, very fond of his pastor. And um, another little interesting thing, when, when you went to his condo, you would come down the hall, and right in front of you there was a table uh, he had two heroes that he talked about, Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa. Hmm. And and on that table, you know, he had books and pictures of these two people, uh, you know, who were his heroes. And then he would add, he said, and I've got one living hero, and that was Billy Graham. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, with the passing of Dr. Graham, I, I've got to think that Coach Wooden and billy graham have probably spent some time together in glory um probably having a very nice time together uh but but the coach wouldn't have a gr- great admiration for 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 dr billy graham so uh those are some of the memories that i have i can imagine the
1: conversations that are taking place be a fly on the wall for those huh just between those two talking that would be amazing oh my
0: goodness yeah that would be great you know that would be uh they, they would they would uh, have a wonderful time together. Billy Graham followed sports. Yeah, uh, he he was a he was a sports fan. Uh, Absolutely. So he and, he and Coach Wooden would have uh, I think
1: hit it off really well. Absolutely. We're talking to Pat Williams here, the senior vice president from the <laughs> Magic on the Sports Spectrum podcast, and and we do appreciate you joining us. Pat, lessons are something it says right in the cover of your book. These are stories and lessons. From John Wooden's summer basketball camps, but I thought we'd turn it around a little bit because your career is quite extraordinary. I mean, you were in the U.S. Army, you were 27 years old, and you were in the minor leagues becoming uh, an an executive in the minor leagues of baseball, and then you moved to the NBA. I thought it'd be fun to kind of have some stories and lessons from Pat Williams on this podcast. So those are something I think we all cling to as well, those lessons. So let's start with your very first job out of college. Working in minor league baseball back in the mid 1960s. What are some of the, what's a story or maybe a lesson that you can talk about and share with us that you learned from that very first experience out of college? I went to Wake
0: Forest. I was a catcher. I played baseball. I was a catcher there for four years, and upon graduation, uh, I wanted to play ball. Uh, I wanted to get into the uh, into baseball so badly. Uh, I got a great opportunity. The Phillies. Uh, gave me a signing bonus that, well, it allowed my mother to work the rest of her life. Nevertheless, <laughs> I, I drove from my home in Wilmington, Delaware, to Miami, Florida, where the Phillies sent me. It was one of their farm clubs. Uh, I checked in. Uh, the manager was Andy simonick the old Phillies catcher, one of my boyhood heroes. And I spent that summer, you know, uh, as a uh, backup catcher, uh, one of my teammates was a future Hall of Fame pitcher named Ferguson Jenkins. Sure. And and Fergie Jenkins was—you could tell right then—he was going to be good, real good. So I got to catch him a number of times that summer. Uh, it was a marvelous experience for me. Uh, at the end of that summer, I went to Indiana. I I, I was—I started work on my master's degree in physical education, and 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 also wrote for the school newspaper, and uh, uh, was an announcer, a broadcaster on the Indiana University Sports Network. <laughs> uh, I went back in 63 and, and played another year. At the end of that year, the Phillies said, uh, we want to send you back to Miami, but in the front office. It was, it was time. And I had a wonderful mentor, the GM of the Miami Marlins, his name was Bill Durney. And he invested in me and taught me and was a real uh, mentor in so many different ways, uh, teaching me the ropes uh, of running a minor league ball club. At the end of that season, uh, Uncle Sam called. (laughs) I was in an Army Reserve unit, and I got called uh, for basic training. So in September of '64, I find myself in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, with my head shaved, and there I am for eight weeks, and then eight more weeks at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, I got out, and the Phillies, at this point, uh, had, a, had a job for me full-time. Uh, the general manager of the, their farm club in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And there I was in February of 1965. I was 24 years old, and uh, there I am to to run the Phillies minor league ball club in Spartanburg. Uh, I was so fortunate. The owner of that team was a man named Ari little John. Uh, I just called him coach. Uh, but a godly man, a, a very astute businessman. He, he possessed a wonderful quality called wisdom. Mm-hmm. And he imparted that wisdom to me. And I, 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 I absorbed it, uh, you know, like a, like a sponge in water. Um, and it was also in Spartanburg, uh, Jason, that a a major, major event took place in my life. Uh, in February of 1968, I was 27 years old, getting ready for our fourth season there. But I uh, I became a Christian in, in February of uh, of 1968. Mm. Uh, I I had wrestled with it. I had thrashed around with it. I I had grown up in a church going home. I went to a Baptist college. So, so spiritual things were not foreign to me. However, uh, this thought of a personal relationship with a Savior named Jesus, uh, it was just foreign to me. But I finally uh, got my, my, my arms around it, and, and I realized that uh, a decision had to be made. Uh, Jesus wanted to come into my life. He was not going to batter his way in. Uh, I had to invite him in. And so in Mr. Littlejohn's office, oh, I remember it vividly. It was quarter of four in the afternoon, February 22nd, 1968. I I made that decision, and I I invited the Lord to come into my heart. Mm. And he did in a very dramatic way very emotional way. I guess you could call it instant conversion.
1: Yeah, and what's uh, in what way did that affect you going forward though? Because you're still 28 and you're working, or 27 and you're working in the minor leagues, you know, trying to run a team. And now that you have this faith, this newfound faith, does that change how you go about your job? Or does it just change everything about you? How did that change well, you?
0: It changed, it, changed, <clears throat> it changed everything, Jason. <clears throat> First of all, it, it uh, allowed me, uh, for the very first time in my life, to relax hmm. and, and quit, quit pushing myself. Uh, there was peace in my heart, and, and there, was, um, uh, there was a new power to live up on top of my circumstances. Uh, there was a freshness, uh, and above all, I, I had the sense... Uh, Lord, you're in charge now. I'm, I'm going to take my hands off of my life. I'm going to quit trying to advance myself, and 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 you're in total control. Uh, I remember that vividly. Uh, I I want your will to be done in my life. So that this was February. Uh, the season started in April, and the season is going on. April, May, June. Now it's July of '68 i've been a <laughs> I've been a Christian about five months, and I walked into the ballpark one day uh, one afternoon there was a there was a pink uh, telephone slip to return a call to Jack Ramsey in Inglewood California dr Jack Ramsey I mean I saw yeah. his teams at St Joe's play so much at the cholester when I was young I was a teenager. <laughs> And, and now the, the GM of the 76ers, could it, be, could, could, could it be that? Anyway, I returned the call, and, uh, and uh, in Jack, Dr. Jack Ramsey's room, he explained he was in Inglewood, uh, trading Wilt Chamberlain to the Lakers. He also told me uh, that he planned to take over the coaching duties of the 76ers uh, in addition to being the GM, but he was going to be gone. He, he would be a full-time coach. And he needed somebody uh, to run the front office.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, now, keep in mind, Jason, in those days, you know, a front office in the NBA consisted of maybe six or seven people. Hmm. Today, we have about 300, you know, who help run this team. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I went up twice for interviews, in-depth interviews, uh, serious interviews. And uh, they offered me the job. A three-year contract I had never thought about pro basketball uh, as a live for a living you know at all I, I was a baseball guy but uh, this was the first opportunity I'd received to, to go to a major league setting and, and uh, so I, I, I took the job I, I switched hmm. and I ended up in uh, in Philadelphia with the 76ers uh, for one year. I was the business manager. And then one year later, uh, the Chicago Bulls GM post was open. And they, the, uh, the Bulls approached me, uh, offered me the job. I, I took it and I moved to Chicago. Anyway, long story short, that whole that NBA start is now at the 50 year mark. Yeah. Uh, which is hard to believe, but, but, but 50 consecutive years. Uh, every two weeks i've I've gotten a paycheck from an n b a franchise um, so if you're doing your math <laughs> uh I was twenty seven when I came to christ. I'm now seventy seven so I'm at the fifty year mark you know of my uh my conversion and uh, it's been quite a ride
1: that's amazing an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. This is Pat Williams here. Joining us on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, the Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic. So you talk about your transition to the NBA. You go from Philadelphia to the Bulls to Atlanta, and then you come back to Philly. And I think for a lot of basketball fans in their 40s and 50s, I'm 44. I think of those 1980s Philadelphia 76ers teams. I'm a big Boston Celtics fan, and that was the rivalry that I remember as a kid just getting introduced to basketball. That's that's the Julius Irvings and the Moses Malones and the Mo Cheeks and the, the Boston Strangler, Andrew Toney and Bobby Jones and all those great players that were on the 76ers in the, the late 70s into that group that you guys assembled in the early 80s and eventually winning a championship in 1983, one of the great Philly teams, if not the best Philly team ever, and one of the great NBA teams ever. So when I bring that team to, you know, I'm sure you'd get asked about the Sixers a lot. What memories or lessons can you tell us, share with us, with our audience that you learned being around that team, maybe one of the great NBA teams of all time?
0: Uh, first of all, our 82-83 team, uh, which has been rated as one of the
1: top six or seven
0: teams in the history of the league. Yeah. Billy Cunningham was our coach. Uh the late Chuck Daly was an assistant on that staff. Think about that. Mm. And um, you, you rattle off the names of, of all of our great players. Uh, one, of the, one of the most vivid memories is that uh, we started uh, Pro Basketball Chapel during that period, uh, primarily through the influence of Bobby Jones, a, a strong, strong Christian. Mm. Uh, he, he wanted to have a chapel service and wanted to start it, and we did in Philadelphia during that late 70s period. It carried on uh, all the way through, you know. And today, uh, there's a chaplain uh, with every NBA team. There's a there's a, a time of prayer before every game, it's usually in, in, in an empty locker room somewhere, and players from both teams voluntarily come, and they have about 10 or 15 minutes together uh, to hear a message from the Bible and at a time for prayer. So so I, we've got I've got great memories of that. Uh, Julius Irving came to Christ during that period and 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 we never will forget that period.
2: Hmm.
0: I remember uh, in nineteen eighty one, uh, we started uh, having post game concerts, God family and country rallies uh, a- after the after the game, one one in the fall, one in the spring. And we would invite some of the Phillies or Eagles or Sixers to stay and and share their faith, along with a top gospel singer. I I have vivid memories of that. Uh, Those kind of events are are carrying on in different franchises in sports. So I've got many spiritual memories, but but our 82-83 team, well, it was a perfect season, Uh, Jason. Nobody got hurt. We had no injuries. Uh, The players – were absolutely locked in, focused, and determined, uh, and and they never never wandered, never deviated. Uh, It was just a a, a spectacular season. And Moses, who we had gotten from Houston that that summer, uh, was at a different level. Oh, my goodness. He was so intense, and he was so uh, locked in. It was just remarkable to watch him. And he made life a lot easier for Julius. Uh, Our guard line of Keeks and Tony uh, may have been as uh, uh, good as any guard line that came along through that era. Maybe maybe one of the better guard lines in league history. People forget how good Andrew Tony was.
2: Uh,
0: He was so good. His career ended early because of foot and ankle problems, which was really a shame. Uh, that was along about age 27, I guess. But for five years, uh, he was an absolute force uh, in, in in pro basketball. So those those are some of the thoughts. Billy Cunningham, uh, with one of the better winning percentages in league history, he, he didn't coach a long time, but he he coached he coached very successfully. Uh, people, uh, I would say he would go down as a as an underrated coach in NBA history. So it was quite a time uh, for us in
1: Philadelphia. And then something happens, and you have this, I don't know what I would call it, crazy idea, but this idea to bring an NBA franchise to Orlando. Can you take us through that process of leaving Philadelphia and eventually finding and, and birthing the Orlando Magic, the team that you're still with today, and kind of that process of getting Orlando a basketball team.
0: Well, uh, Jason, I've been, I've been in Philadelphia 12 years. Uh, we'd accomplished you know, just about everything you could accomplish. I, I was getting restless. I, w- I will say that. Uh, I was getting restless.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the ultimate challenge in, in sports administration is, and it's rare, uh, but that is uh, starting your own team up from scratch, an expansion team. Uh, but it's difficult and uh, hard to uh, hard to pull off. I I had met a businessman uh, here in Orlando years back. His name was Jimmy Hewitt, and and I and I, I I was in here for a you know, Orlando for a speaking engagement. I I, I hooked up with him, <clears throat> and I remember saying to him. Uh, would pro basketball ever go in Florida? And, and where would you put the team, Miami or Tampa? I know, well, Jimmy got all worked up and said, neither place, you'd put it right here in Orlando. This, this is the future of Florida. And I said to him, well, if you believe that, uh, you should probably get a hold of the commissioner and talk to him, maybe even go up and see him. The next week Jimmy called me and said, We've got an appointment with David Stern in New York uh, this week or next week. Hmm. And I thought to myself, wait, this guy, Jimmy Hewitt, is serious. Well, he went up there. Uh, David couldn't tell him a whole lot. But there was a sense uh, that expansion was kind of percolating. And as it turns out, uh, there were four cities, Charlotte, Miami, Orlando and and Minnesota, Minnesota, Minneapolis. There were four cities that were starting to rev up. Uh, Orlando, by far, the smallest. Uh, And so uh, Jimmy kept calling me and updating me and telling me what they were doing, and he was getting his ownership group together, and he said they had had plans to build a nice arena. And and, uh, then in April of... 86 now, he said on the phone, he said, Pat, he said, we've done everything we can do down here to get get this thing going. He said, if you'll come down and head it up, uh, he said, we'll go forward. He said, if you decide to stay in Philadelphia, he said, we're just going to drop it. And, And so he put it right clearly on my doorstep. And um, I called him back, and I said, Jimmy, um, uh, we're, we're coming down. We're, we're, we want to do this. A uh, little did I realize, uh, Jason, what a, what a challenge it was going to be. Uh, I left the 76ers. We uh, came down here in June of 86 uh, to start shaking things up. And and we thought the only way we could get anybody's attention was to try and get deposits, $100 deposits, on season tickets uh, to a team that didn't exist. (laughs) Right. uh, Where there had never been Major League Sports before, and there was no place to play at that time. Uh, But for the better part of a year, I ran all over this, this area uh, and, and the end result was we we ended up with deposits for 14,000 season tickets, wow. which which got everybody's attention. Uh, long story short, in April of 87, uh, the league made the decision uh, to take all four of us. The reason was the, the, the price for the franchise was $32.5 million. Multiplied by four, and then divided among the team owners. That was a big check in those days. Yeah. That that was a big one. Uh, I think now uh, we have had teams sold in the last few years for for $2 billion. Mm. Think about that. Our our price in 86, 87, which which was huge no team had ever sold for 32.5 million. Uh, we felt that the league had really uh, gouged us. <laughs> well, as it turns out, it was, it was a bargain. Uh, but in those, in those days, that, those were the numbers. So that's how the Orlando magic was birthed. Yeah. Uh, next year, next year will be our 30th anniversary, you know, as a, as a member of the NBA. So, and I've, and I've been here ever since we, uh, We put deep roots down here in Orlando, Jason, and uh, this is our home, and I'm still involved, still work with the Magic in many different areas, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud and honored, you know, to have been part of this from the very beginning.
1: And they, of course, debuted on the court back in November 1989, and of course, many people who are NBA fans remember you, Pat, for being the guy at the NBA lottery when you get that number one pick for Shaquille O'Neal and then a year later, Penny Hardaway. And obviously many fans growing up, certainly my age and even some younger fans remember Shaq and Penny. And those were, those were two guys. You saw the uh, ESPN film done on them. And uh, I just wonder if you might be able to share a Shaq or a Penny story that comes to mind just in that time of really what helped take that franchise and, and take it, a step that really put them on the map well
0: in 92
1: uh,
0: the draft lottery was pretty simple Uh, we had uh, uh, there were you know there was just ping pong balls you know knocking around and uh, they would come up and you know it was very simple and and sure enough uh, amazingly enough we won it oh that was a great moment a great moment of celebration Uh, i remember going up to the stage and David Stern was there greeting me. He, he was happy for us. Well, Shaq joined us, and we, we had a good year with him, a good year. However, we missed the playoffs, uh, I think, by about the fifth tiebreaker with Indiana. That, that's how close it was. So we're back in the lottery. Uh, we have one ping pong ball in, in the machine there out of 66. <laughs> one. And I remember they started uh, turning over the cards. which should have been turned over at 11, but we weren't. <laughs> and everybody in the room knew something very, very dramatic had happened and they kept turning them. And uh, amazingly enough, we're turned over at number one. Uh, we went up again, uh, David Stern was not happy. He was not hugging me this time. <laughs> yeah and and I think in his mind, he was thinking, never again, we're gonna make it so hard you know for a good team to to win we, you know, never again. Nevertheless, that was the year that Chris Weber was coming out, Sean Bradley and Penny Hardaway. And uh, we had them all in for interviews and workouts, uh, two days before the draft. Uh, Penny Hardaway called our top scout, John Gabriel, and he said, I don't think you guys are going to take me. And you should. (laughs) He said, I'll come back. I'll do anything you want. So John told him to come on back down here. Uh, You you never could do that today. And the day before the draft, uh, we, we got a private gym and got some of our former players and others and, and had an hour of skins on sh- skins and shirts. Hmm. And Penny was just beyond belief. I mean, he, he, he put on an absolute show. Uh, we we were uh, amazed. And uh, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, what do we do now? <laughs> well, that switched us away from Weber. Uh, the Warriors were... We're just uh, just desperate to make a deal to get a player with size. Don Don Nelson was running the the Warriors, and and when we began to talk, and he said uh, he said, "Who do you take?" Well, we we chatted, and he said, "I'll flip flop with you, and you can end up with Hardaway." And he said, "I'll give you three future firsts if you'll do that."
2: Mm-hmm. It sounded
0: good to me. Yeah. So long story short, we we selected Weber. Our fans were thrilled. Uh, Bradley goes to Philly, and the Warriors take Hardaway at three for us. And uh, we made the trade, and then I had to go out and explain to our fans what we had done. Yeah, they were angry. Oh boy, they were upset. Uh, they knew all about Weber. They didn't know they didn't know about Hardaway. And all I said was, you you're you're booing now, but."
1: you will be cheering later. Those are great stories. I love these memories. We're talking to Pat Williams here, the senior vice president for the Orlando Magic. Just a couple more questions left with Pat. I want to ask you about your cancer battle. Uh, 2011, you were diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. Um, And then recently I've seen that uh, doctors have declared that there's no myeloma in your body and then given you a clean bill of health. I wonder for you as a cancer survivor, as a cancer battler, what did you learn about yourself during that time? That was more recent, obviously, the last five, six years, and your faith in God helping you through this battle. What was that like when you find that out and then trying to walk through that?
0: Well, anybody who has ended up with cancer, Jason, uh, can understand that when that news is, is told to you, it's just... Uh, Shocking. I mean, beyond shocking. And I can remember when Dr. Reynolds informed me uh, of this form of cancer. I'd never heard of multiple myeloma. It's one of the blood cancers. Uh, I remember asking him if there's a cure. He said, (laughs) he said, no, Hmm. Uh, we can treat it, uh, but we can't cure it. Well, I'm in the eighth year now. Uh, uh, these uh, forms of chemo have been very effective, and uh, I'm uh, I'm grateful. God has been very very good to me. I've had good oncologists, and I've responded well to all the different forms of chemo. So I'm able uh, to keep my full life, and you know I feel good. My energy level is good, and I'm able to uh, keep doing you know, all those things that uh, you know I, I want to be doing. Um, so. Oh, how has that changed? Well, I've suddenly been thrust into the, the cancer world, uh, Jason. I'm, I'm, uh, I speak uh, quite regularly to cancer groups. I, uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Mission is Remission, mm. in which I shared my story. I've made myself available to anybody who wants to talk about their cancer
1: struggles. Yeah. Is that one of the big keys in this is is having conversations and not bottling it up and actually getting it out, getting those feelings out, getting those angry, maybe you're angry at God over something like this. Is that important?
0: Well, I think it is. I remember at at that moment, uh, I had to react in one of two ways, and that was to shake my fist in God's face and challenge him or uh, just do a, a leap into his lap and uh, wrap my arms around his neck and hold on.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's what I've done. And I'm still doing it. God doesn't make mistakes, Jason. And so uh, I've learned a great deal. Uh, I think I'm a stronger person. And and, and until you've gone through uh, something like this, you can't be of help to anybody else. So as a result of my cancer st- battle, you know, I'm in a position to, counsel or advise or encourage others you know who have just who have just gotten that same news and and they're shaken to their core and and uh I, i just want to talk to them and tell them that you're going to come through this and you're going to be you're going to come out of this in good shape you know just listen to your doctors uh stay upbeat stay optimistic stay positive uh stay stay close to the lord and i said you're going to be just fine so So just relax and don't panic. Something like that. That would be kind of the
1: message I'd deliver. That's a good message. And I know you're married to your wife, Ruth. And I haven't even mentioned this yet. And obviously many people who know you know this, that you're parents of 19 children, 14 adopted children, 17 grandchildren, if I read that right. Uh, That may have changed since the last time I read your bio. But 17 grandchildren. And I just got to imagine what a household looks like at Thanksgiving, Christmas, or any of those big holidays when you gather that entire clan together? That must be quite the trip, having everybody together.
0: Well, Christmas is a big deal. Uh, We adopted 14 of those children um, between 1983 and 1993 Mm. uh, from four foreign countries. Uh, The children are all adults now. The youngest is 32. The oldest is 46. And uh, and the grandchildren number is accurate, seventeen. Hmm. Uh, so we're we're having quite a time with the grandkids, uh, and Christmas is a big deal. Uh, yeah, we'll have uh, huge numbers at Christmas time, uh, and that's always a a great time that uh, our family enjoys. You know that
1: get together. I can't imagine what the living room looks like. What you know, what the dining room table looks like, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of bedrooms in your house, but 19 children trying to fit them all, everybody's sleeping on the floor, piling in, it just, it sounds like an amazing, just chaotic, but really special time to be all together at once.
0: Well, as I look back, you know, we, uh, we had 16 teenagers at the same time for one year. Oh my gosh. Uh, That, you know, that's a speaking of chaotic.
1: (laughs) I have one, let's just put that, I can't imagine 16 of them.
0: We got them all raised, Jason. <laughs> yes, sir. And they're out on their own now. We're uh, we're we're empty nesters, and um, we still are in touch with all of our children. Great, but uh, they they have their own lives
1: now. So well, that's, that's tremendous. Uh, that's tremendous, Pat. Let me ask you this, and I we just got a couple more questions left. Two more here with the great Pat Williams, Senior Vice President from the Orlando Magic. Now I'm going to ask you a question that John Maxwell, the great leader guru once asked John Wooden. It's referenced in your book. Uh, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams is the name of the new book. And the question is this, and I'll ask it to you: When your life journey is over, what do you want to be known for?
0: Well, I want to be known that uh, known that I uh, was very open about my faith. Uh, I encouraged others to uh, come to this saving f- faith with with Christ that uh, I experienced. Uh, and through my writing and my speaking, uh, my individual contact, uh, I want to be known as a as a life enhancer, uh, a, a difference maker, hmm. uh, somebody who had a a major impact on people's lives. I, I think that's how I'd answer your question.
1: I love that word, life enhancer. <laughs> I just think that's such a neat word, and I think the world needs more of, the, of life enhancers, that's for sure. Uh, Pat, let me ask you this. This is our last question. We ask this to all of our guests here on the podcast. I wonder for you, during this season of life, where you are now, what has the Lord been teaching you? What are you learning from God right now?
0: Well, uh, the Lord is teaching me to uh, be available to people, uh, be engaged with them. Uh, he's been teaching me not just to be good to people, but be great to people as John Wooden was. Hmm. Uh, He's been teaching me to continue to read, uh, you know, uh, good books. Uh, He's been teaching me to, uh, uh, to continue to speak about leadership and teamwork and, and being successful in life. He's been teaching me to, really have a major impact on the lives of our grandchildren. Mm. Uh, He's been teaching me to uh, uh, spend time preparing and helping to co-teach a Sunday school class at First Baptist Church in Orlando. Mm. Uh, The Lord is a great teacher and he he puts these things on your heart and on your mind and then uh, I think he expects you to follow through. So it's important that we we be good listeners, Jason, uh, the Lord speaks to us through that still small voice. And, and that happens when we, we get away in a, in a quiet place and just uh, reflect and listen. And, and the Lord's going to speak to you through that still small voice in, in your, in your mind and in your heart.
1: Uh, and it's exciting
0: to do that. And uh, uh, the Lord has great love for all of us, Jason. he, Loves us in a way we can't even imagine. We're a big deal to him. And uh, he's got big plans for all of us.
1: He is Pat Williams, Senior Vice President with the Orlando Magic. Extraordinary life you've lived, certainly being a life enhancer. I'm just going to start using that word now, Pat. I really like that. And uh, your latest book, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, Stories and Lessons from John Wooden's Summer Basketball Camps. That and the other 107 books that you've written are out and available now. Everywhere books are sold. This has been a real treat for me to talk to you, Pat. Thanks so much for being here on the podcast. It's been uh, it's been a privilege and an honor. Thank you.
0: Jason, thanks a lot. I look forward to chatting with you again.
1: Man, what an incredible life Pat Williams has lived. And we thank him for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Such a great encouragement, not only from his faith, but from how he loves others, how he serves others, and how he... Wants to help others through the power of story through his books that he's written. 108 books still blows my mind. And his latest is called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, Stories and Lessons from John Wooden's Summer Basketball Camps. That's available everywhere. Books are found, including on Amazon and of course, at patwilliams.com. We thank you for joining us here on the podcast. As always, we encourage you to leave a review on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes Apple Podcast page, leave a review, and let us know what you think of this podcast. You can reach us via email, jason at sportspectrum.com. You can email me directly. That's jason at sportspectrum.com. And of course, you can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all the social media outlets. And we encourage you to, uh, to let people know on social media. If you like this podcast, let them know about it. Uh, we've had some great podcasts recently, including Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton and Olympic ice skater Scott Hamilton, Pastor Brian Loritz, and quarterback John Kitna. Really great podcasts. I think some incredible stories and incredible amounts of wisdom in those interviews. And so if you like what you're hearing, let people know on social media. Uh, we'll definitely be watching as well on Sports Spectrum and retweet you or share it or whatever. But we love to hear what your thoughts are on the podcast and, and letting others know about the stories of the intersection of sports and faith. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Sports Spectrum.